Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. This morning our text from Scripture is back in Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 16 to 21. So if you would open your Bibles there, I will read God's word to us this morning. Remember, it is eternally true. Romans 10, verses 16 to 21. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul is once more using Scripture, starting with the prophet to God's people named Isaiah, to demonstrate that although salvation must flow from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not all hearing of the gospel brings salvation to the hearer. The gospel must be heeded, listened to, and acted upon also. The preaching of the gospel is glorious and absolutely necessary. Without the preaching of the gospel, we must die. There is no substitute for the preaching of the gospel, as we heard in the two verses previous to our passage this morning, the verses that Pastor Baker preached to us a few weeks ago. This is what immediately precedes what we just read. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. This is what the gospel is. It's good news. So having declared the necessity and the glory of the preacher of the gospel, heralding salvation through Jesus Christ to those who are perishing, he declares what beautiful feet they have. And of course... (laughs) None of us are about to list our feet as the high point of our beauty. In other words, the very fact that it's their feet that's beautiful is itself telling, right? But then the Apostle Paul turns to the stunningly sad reality that gospel preaching is not enough. And he exclaims in the first verse of our text, however, They did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So Isaiah cries out this lament 
at the beginning of the chapter of the Old Testament that Isaiah 53 is probably the chapter of the Old Testament that most clearly preaches the gospel. Of all the texts in the Old Testament, where would you go to find a more clear statement of the substitutionary atonement, of the death on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's in this very text where he says, Lord, who has believed our report, and then he gives the report, and a few verses later, here's the report he's given that he's saying they won't believe. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin, of our peace, was upon him. And with his stripes, we have been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Is this the gospel? And the prophet Isaiah proclaiming that centuries earlier from Jesus Christ to the people of God says this, Lord, who has believed our report? This is the sad truth that the Apostle Paul declares in verse 16, quoting this lament by the prophet Isaiah, however, they did not all heed the good news For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now, what does it mean to heed the good news? Well, we know it must at least mean to believe the good news. Since that's the word used in parallel construction of the verse. Heed, believe. And so those who did not heed the good news of the gospel are those who did not believe Isaiah's report of the gospel. And yet there's some difference between what the Apostle Paul is saying and what Isaiah had said, because heed, as a word, pushes volition or will to the front with a little more intensity than the word believe does. In other words, those of God's people who did not believe Isaiah's report are not simply ignorant of the importance of the gospel. They are not simply uninformed of the salvation that the gospel brings as it pertains to themselves. They're not simply missing the point and therefore able to plead ignorance beget by cluelessness or some herd mentality that paralyzed them. No, the gospel message didn't just pass them by. They refused to heed it. They turned away from it. They willed it from them. They were not passive but active in their unbelief. In other words, it was an intentional act in full conformity with their will to reject their Savior, their Messiah, the truth of the gospel Isaiah proclaimed to them. Next, the Apostle Paul reiterates the necessity of gospel preaching in verse 17. So, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Here it's made clear that faith is not produced by hearing thunder and lightning or the reassuring of the school counselor concerning your inner giftedness or the flattery of hipster church planters yip-yapping endlessly about how graceful and merciful and peaceful God is. No, it's not just any preaching calling itself gospel preaching that is used by God to give saving faith, but gospel preaching that communicates what? 
that communicates the word of Christ. Those who are saved by Jesus are those who have heard his words and have heeded them, have believed them. And so this word of Christ is what they must heed and believe. It is the only possible message that can save us. Again, listen to the categorical declaration made under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, emphasizing once more the necessity of special revelation for salvation. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's an unbreakable chain. The first link is the preaching of the word of Christ. The second link is hearing that preaching of the word of Christ. The third link is heeding, believing, putting our faith in the hearing of the preaching of the word of Christ. Okay? They're all clumped together. In other words, this is the reason that the feet of those preaching the gospel are beautiful. Because they allow you to hear and to heed, and to believe the word of Christ. That's the reason my feet are beautiful. I have a club toe, second toe in. My feet are beautiful. Preachers' feet are beautiful. It's not our highest attribute. Now, if this is how critically important gospel preaching is, then who has heard it. It's a natural question. Well, if that's what preaching means, who has heard it? And this is the question the Apostle Paul next turns to address. Verse 18, but I say, surely they've never heard, have they? To plead ignorance is often our self-defense. But officer, I didn't know the speed limit had changed back there. So a humorous story. We used to have Lenten services up in Partyville in Wisconsin where I used to serve. And we would cooperate all the churches together in these Lenten midweek services. And one, of, uh, one, of, one, one time, it was at the Baptist church in the town of Wyasena. And Wyasena has a total of like 300 people. And so the church is at the center of town, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's downtown, <laughs> you know, of course, 300 people. So the church is downtown in full view of the entire town. And so I was to preach that night, and Wyasena was three miles below Partyville, so I put the family in the car, drove down there, and about at the right time, pulled up right in front of the church to park, and as I got ready to get out, I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a squad car behind me with its lights going. You know, it's like, what? I'm the preacher tonight. Are you really going to give me a ticket in front of the church? So he comes up to the window, and he says, can I have your license, please? And of course, everybody's laughing at me as they walk into the church, you know? I mean, I'm laughing at myself. I think this is, you know, pretty funny. And so he tells me that as I come into town, the speed limit goes from 55, not to 45, of course, but to 35. 
And he'd been out there with his radar. I'd even seen him, you know. And so, of course, how do I respond? I don't say, but I didn't know that the speed limit was 35. I actually don't say anything. I want him to leave as quickly as possible, (laughs) you know. But what I thought was, yeah, but I didn't know you were there, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I didn't know you were there. But I say, surely, they have never heard, have they? And the answer is, indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Don't plead ignorance. It's a God's word. Don't you plead ignorance. It's gone into all the world. Now, at this point, this is a quotation not from Isaiah, but from Moses. I mean, from David. This is a quotation from Rita Cuffey's psalm, which is Psalm 19. Rita was a godly, older member of our congregation for many years, uh, about my best friend in Bloomington, until she died and Dave Carell came along. And don't worry, I love Mary Lee most. But she's my wife, (laughs) you know. Anyhow, Rita Cuffey studied astronomy at Harvard as a graduate student, met another astronomer, they got married, and he came out to teach at IU. And Rita Cuffey loved the stars. Why did she love the stars? Well, she grew up on the near north end of Boston, Italian. Her last name was Maiden, was Parabashi. And Rita, having grown up in the Catholic Church, couldn't figure out where God was and who he was. And so she decided to study astronomy so that she could find God. Isn't that interesting? And so I can't ever read Psalm 19 without thinking of dear Rita. Now listen to Psalm 19 that he just quoted here. He said, but surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That's a quotation from here. Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so right here, we've established the importance of the gospel message of the word of Jesus Christ. We've established the importance of it being preached. We've established that you have to heed it. And then if you get all weaselly and squirrely on us, you know, and you say, but I say, surely they've never heard, have they? Then the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 19, King David, and he says, Indeed they have. Indeed, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. Every mouth is stopped 
The problem with us is not that we do not know the word of Christ. It's gone into the whole world. That's what he's saying. The word of Christ has gone into the whole world. Now, there is something here that we have to think about. And that is, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? The Apostle Paul is talking about the word of Christ, the gospel. They've heard. It's gone out into all the world, he says, this gospel. That's what he's talking about. What is King David talking about? Ben. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. (laughs) King David is talking about nature. He's not talking about the gospel message, right? You can see that, right? Can you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish we were all black so we could be responsive. So he's talking about what we call the book of, come on, anybody of you know it. King David is talking about God revealing himself through the book of nature. It's what we call common or general revelation. It's available to everybody, okay? It's thunder and lightning. It's the Milky Way. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's the universe. It's flowers, a few years ago, I planted a little whip of a cherry tree, Japanese cherry tree, and for some reason this year, it decided to go all ballistic on us, you know? And it just sprouted little tiny white flowers from every piece of bark on it, you know? It just went berserk. And I mean, it was brilliant white. And I looked at that thing and I thought, surely no. Surely that little tree, it's about, you know, it's about this tall now, okay? Surely that little tree has worn itself out with its brilliant white. What's the word? Uh, Tiny, small, delicate. That's the word I'm looking for. Delicate, white, brilliant, white, monoplicity of gorgeous flowers. It's worn out. But I thought, I'm going to see. And I leaned over and I smelled it. The smell. It was like, it was beautiful. Now listen, don't laugh. I mean, laugh at me, but realize you have the same extraordinary astonishment at God's beauty. Men think this way about every woman. Men are constantly astonished at the beauty of women. Truth. I did not say they lust. I said we're astonished at the beauty of women. Young women, old women, single women, and married women. 
They're all drop-dead gorgeous. This is what men actually think. You women, you, you think I'm stupid. I'm not. I'm smart. Lots of people tell me their thoughts. Everywhere we go in this creation, we see evidence that shouts at us in a language every one of us understands of the glory of God. You can't escape it. The only way to escape it is to be a scientist who's committed to denying God. That's the only way you can miss it. So, what's the point? Well, the point is that David is showing us in Psalm 19 that God has not been stingy in revealing his glory to us, okay? God has been generous. He's been tender. He has lowered himself to us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork day after day and night after night. There's no language that it doesn't speak in. There's no part of the earth. There's no time of the night. There's no hour of the day that this is not screamed at us. We're without excuse. We know God. We know God. And then the Apostle Paul says this is also the, the, the generous, liberal, unbelievably explosion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, yeah, but that's not what David's talking about in Psalm 19, you know? You say, well, how do you know, smarty pants? Well, because it clearly, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's not saying Jesus declared the glory of God. I say, well, would you say that Jesus is continuation of the extravagance and the generosity of God's revelation? Do you think that he's going to be stingy with the word of special revelation when he has been so generous with general revelation? No. The Apostle Paul says the same principle applies here. Same principle. There's no place that has not heard the gospel. And you're, you know, we're smarty pants and we say, oh yeah, but there are some There are some people in Pakistan who've never heard about Jesus. And I say to you, do you know how language works? Do you actually ever have conversations with anybody? (laughs) You know? Have you noticed recently that, okay, you ready for this? Cicadas are everywhere. Oh, come on, people. Come on. Cicadas aren't everywhere. Although I did see one P. 
peek out of my wife's blouse the other day. That's a joke. One came out of the, the bathtub drain. It's a joke. What is a perfectly legitimate and useful way to refuse to heed the gospel of God? It's to plead ignorance. And then when they say, no, the gospel's gone everywhere, what we say is, well, everywhere isn't everywhere. Nanny, nanny, poo, poo. And that's not what David was saying. Do you you see what I'm saying? It's always possible to take the very words that the Holy Spirit has inspired and just get all bent out of shape over them and start accusing God of not being clear and not being straightforward and doing violence to the Old Testament or to the Septuagint or this, that, the other thing. And on and on we go with objections, right? You've had your children do this to you, right? But dad, but mom, you know? Don't do that. Don't do that. Yes, there are people who have not had the gospel preached to them. Otherwise, the feet of preachers wouldn't be beautiful. It's a wonderful thing when the gospel is preached to people who have never heard. Nevertheless, two decades after Jesus was raised from the dead, only two decades, it was fair and accurate to say that this gospel had been preached to the whole world. That's one of the beauties of the Roman Empire, of the roads, of the language, the lingua franca, you know? It went everywhere. And one of the things God did to make it go everywhere is he had the Christians persecuted in Jerusalem. And so they had to leave. David is quoted to prove that they have heard. The problem is not that they have not heard the gospel message. Indeed, they have heard. And the Apostle Paul is doing no violence to David when he says this. I want to make a little comment here that is important for you to understand. There are two books. One is the book of nature and the other is the book of God. The book of nature is general revelation The book of God is special revelation. This, Holy Writ, is the book of God. This is the book of nature. The book of nature condemns, but it can't save. Because the book of nature does not contain the word of Christ. That's why you have to have preachers. The heavens preach the glory of God. The preacher preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget this, because people go all all wobbly, trying to argue that general revelation is sufficient to save you. But did you hear what was said here in the text? And it's only repeating what came before. Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's why the feet of preachers are beautiful. Okay? 
So they've heard the gospel message. Nature has preached God's character, and the apostles have preached God's Son, Jesus Christ. Then, turning specifically to Israel, God's own people, the apostle Paul says, now he keeps putting, he keeps asking questions. And they're the questions that you would naturally ask if you were inclined to be obstinate, right? You see this. He says, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? And then he quotes Moses, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And so now we've gone from Isaiah to David to Moses. Now I want to read the section that this quotation comes from, from Moses, okay? It's the end of Moses' life. We have in Scripture the song of Moses, and then Moses is told by God to go to the top of the mountain, and he dies. You remember who Moses is. You remember how the people of God, the the children of Israel, they hated him. Remember, they just tormented him. You remember that the Bible says he's the most humble or meekest man who ever lived. You remember God was ready to consume the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. And Moses said, don't do that because then your enemies will believe that you don't keep your word and you're evil. And so God said, no, I'll make you into a great nation. And Moses said, no, don't do that. No, no, you have to keep your word. And so God relented. This is the kind of man Moses was. At the end of his life, after leading these people for more than 40 years, this is what he says to them before he dies. He says, give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass and as the showers on the earth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, and that word there is Yahweh. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? (laughs) He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father. And he will inform you. Your elders, and they will tell you, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion to his people, Jacob, is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him, and he's talking about the children of Israel, God's people. He says, he found him in the desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness. This is speaking of God's care for Israel. It says, he encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. 
The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field. And he made him suck honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock. Curds of cows, milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Basham, and goats with the finest of the wheat and of the blood of grapes you drank wine. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They, this is speaking about Israel, the sons of God, the people of God, they made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. You see, there's the quote. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its shield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Again, the pleading of ignorance is made and the Apostle Paul answers, but I say surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Israel knew. <laughs> Israel knew. You know? You know. You know. You know. You know. Okay. Now I'll come back to that, but I want to stop and say something. What our world has become is a world of cosseted fools. Our world has turned into a place where it is not possible to have true thoughts because they're all illegal now. Okay? This is the purpose of social media now, is to consolidate power over thinking and words. Now listen, I just read something. I'm going to read it to you again. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding. Will I anger you? 
And Moses says, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. We're talking about Israel here. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about the Jews. The Jews. Okay? What God is saying is, okay, fine. Okay, fine. You're my people. You're obstinate. You're rebellious. Fine. You tell me I'm not your God. You take other gods. Fine. Fine. You are not my people. And I will make you angry and jealous. Okay? Come on, people. I just read it to you. Right? You just heard it, right? This is what God is saying. Okay, fine. You won't have me as God, then you're not my people. You know, you often have people who are powerless tell you that they've made a decision to reject you. You know what I'm talking about. You know? You can't fire me! Take this job! You know? You're about to fire them. They knew it, but they got out while the getting was good. So here the Jews are, oh, they were, their, their, their destiny was manifest. You know, we won't have you as God. We are seizing our destiny, right? You see it. We will not have you as God. We will go whoring after other gods. God says, okay, knock your socks off. Go ahead, have your other gods. You're no longer my people. And you know who my people are? The uncircumcised now. You know who my people are now? They're the people who have not sought me. They're the Gentiles. The people that aren't people have become my people, and the people that are my people have become not my people. Okay? Do you see this? Listen, this is the Jews. This is the Jews. How on earth are we supposed to honor the word of God and not see what God is saying? What is the present condition of the Jews? The present condition of the Jews is that God has made them jealous and angry of Christians. (laughs) And now what? I'm anti-Semitic? Listen, as you go through life, an increasingly large part of what Scripture says is going to be an illegal thought and an illegal word is going to be a thought crime. But how on earth do you understand what has been going on in the world without understanding the endless conflict of the Jews against Christians? And you say, oh, no, 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 Rabbi Yaakiel Eckstein, he runs the Jewish Christian Holy Land Society. And it's a bunch of Christians, a bunch of Jews who just love each other. If you look up, you'll find he's one of the highest paid nonprofit religious organizations in the country today, Rabbi Yaakiel Eckstein. I know him. He asked my dad to be on the board when he started that organization. You know what my dad said? My dad said, and and, and my dad and Yaquil 
really liked each other. Yaquil took my dad on the festival of booths in the Jewish community in Chicago, my dad and mother, okay? They were close. My dad said, no, Yaquil, I'm not, I'm not going to be on the board of that organization because if I go on the board of that organization, I will be signaling to you that I care more about Israel as a nation and more about rapprochement between the U.S. and Israel then I care about your soul and your faith in your Messiah. <laughs> and you wonder why I am the way I am. <laughs> you know, I was so proud of my father. He would have had junkets here and junkets there and money here and money there and trips to the Holy Land and all the glitz that all the other famous Christians have. And instead, he said no to Yaquil. If you spend your life trying to prove that you're not anti-Semitic, you will never know the truth that God has declared that he has made the Jews jealous and angry of those who belong to him. This is God. If you spend your life trying to prove that you're not sexist, you will deny the truth that God made Eve second and that she is a helpmate. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to dress it up? Uh, I suppose I could come up with sophisticated ways of saying it so that you'd miss it. <laughs> if you spend your life trying to prove that you're not racist, it's a fool's errand. How do you prove you're not racist? <laughs> you know, how are you going to do it? I'm not racist. Some of my best friends are D. Wayne Pinckney. <laughs> I don't think he's here, right? Oh, he was in the first service. Or Ilsa. It should shock our false, cosseted, stupid sensibilities in this social media age for God to say, okay, fine, you won't have me as God? I'm a jealous God. I will make you jealous and angry. And I will go to the Gentiles. And brothers and sisters, with the exception of two of you, one of whom sits here, that's the truth about every one of us, our principal understanding about our relationship to Jews should be that God's using us to make them angry and jealous. <laughs> okay, are you all with me? That's what God's doing. Now, why would God do that? Well, in a couple of chapters, maybe the next chapter, he's going to say in the book of Romans, he's going to say, and so all Israel will be saved. Again, Jews, all Jews will be saved. And what, at that point, we're all going to be like okay with making statements about the Jews? Come on, how is he going to save the Jews? Well, jealousy. So, God is working through us 
to save his beloved people, the Jews. And he's using their jealousy of us. And we have been grafted onto the root. But don't get smarty pants about it. Don't get proud. Because if he cut them off, he'll cut you off. And this is where I want to end, okay? The final part of our text is this. And Isaiah was very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. First of all, Isaiah is very bold. Every time I listen to this on my lawnmower, every time I hear that word, that phrase, Isaiah was very bold, okay? I just like, I just swell. My chest swells, my shoulders get stronger. I just feel, why? Oh, I love Isaiah for being very bold. You know? He went in the paint. (laughs) You know, basketball. Isaiah was very bold. Do you know that word bold is used only there in the New Testament? What a good word for our preachers. That's what the Apostle Paul needed. He said, pray that I'll be zealous and bold as I ought to be. It's a different word. And so you want preachers of of Jesus who are bold, okay? And what does Isaiah say to the people that God has called him to preach to? What Isaiah says is, I was found by those who didn't seek me, became manifest to those who did not ask for me, All the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, at this point, I could say that this is him talking about the Jews, all right? But you know who the Jews today are. They're you. You're the Jew today. You have been chosen by God. You have been given the sacraments. You have heard his voice. You have been rebuked and admonished and encouraged by his elders. Okay? You are obstinate. You are obstinate. And because you know I love you, you know I'm not on a power trip in saying this, it wounds me deeply. I said to somebody recently who was being obstinate, I said, you know, I think you think that it's the job of a preacher to let you hurt him and not feel the pain. But you hurt me. I don't talk like that. It's undignified. It's unmanly. It's un... whatever. But, you know, I thought sometimes it's helpful for God's people to realize how obstinate and how much pain that causes us. Do you see the pain it caused Isaiah? Do you, can you imagine the pain that it caused Moses? I look at the next year, my last year here, 
And I think to myself, how is a man going to be able to take up the baton and not shoot himself? This is a retired preacher laughing here. Okay, I just want to point out, he and I understand each other. (laughs) You know? How is a man not going to shoot himself? You think about all of the instruction, the admonishment, the correction, the exhortations, the love, the tender love that you've gotten from the older women and from the elders and from the pastors of this church and how often you've hardened your hearts against it. You're an obstinate person. Don't tell me you didn't understand and you didn't hear. You understood and you heard, and that's why you decided to be obstinate, you know? I mean, my goodness, do you think pastors aren't obstinate? Remember what he says about Ezekiel? I've made your forehead like flint because this is a very rebellious people you're going to. And then you're what, going to accuse God of abusing you by sending you Tim Bailey? He's made my forehead hard because you're obstinate. (laughs) I have to survive. Now listen. This is the truth. It's flattery, but it's not because it's the truth. If I could choose any church in this country that I know about, and I know about a lot of them, I would choose you. Because you are more sensitive, more humble, more meek, more obedient, more responsive to God's word than any group of people I've ever been among. Okay? And that's an indication how awful everyone else is. (laughs) You get my point? When I fall in love with you because of how faithful and meek and responsive and wonderful you are, and you look at yourself and you know what you're like, right? (laughs) Right? Right? And so poor Moses, pitiable, right? Poor Isaiah. Poor Jeremiah. Poor Jonathan Edwards. Poor Calvin. He's exhibited us like the captives in a Roman conquering army, humiliated as the army marches into the city and we follow them in chains. That's pastors today. But listen. Honestly, who gives a rip? Who gives a rip? And I only say that because who is it who is all day long stretching out his hands? It's God. I'm not your father. God is your father. God has given birth to you. God has put you under his pinions. God has cleaned you up. God has given you parents who plead for your soul. God has given you the elders and the pastors of a church and the older women. God has given you the word of God in your own language. God has had the heavens declare his glory. 
God is all day long calling out to you to return to him. And so, here's the end of the sermon. Why not? You know? I mean, really. Why not? Why not come to him? He will be the first boss that you have who takes the greatest pain on himself. He will be tender with you. There's nothing he loves more than a repentant man. All heaven rejoices when you return to him. And if you leave wisdom, he'll provide it without finding fault. It's not like your dad. And so come, heed, believe. Because listen, if he did not hesitate to cut the Jews off, (laughs) he will not hesitate to cut you off. But we haven't gotten there in Romans yet, so I won't say that yet, okay? Let's pray. Our Father God, we pray that you will cause us to return to you. Father, we confess our, how obstinate we are, how resistant to your voice we are. And we thank you for your faithful servants, the prophets. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for all of those today who cry out to us, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, help us to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.